Darkcast Network. Welcome to the dark side of podcasts. Here's Johnny. They're all gonna laugh at you. They're all gonna laugh at you. Get away from her, you bitch. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? Face it, baby. These days, you gotta have a sequel. You fly back to school now, little Stein. Fly, fly, fly. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Once Upon a Nightmare. As always, I am your host, Lorraine Purden, and I'm here to discuss the horrors of the world, both fictional and real. This week, I am going with a very, very recent film. And because of that, there will be massive spoilers. So I'm letting you know well in advance so that you don't hear anything you don't want to hear. This is Scream 6. You got a problem here, guy? the secret. There's a darkness inside of me. It followed me here. And it's gonna keep coming for us. We share a certain history. This isn't like any other ghost face. What is this place? A shrine. We've got to lure him in. We execute him. Hello. Let's play a game. You know you're like the 10th guy to try this, right? It never works out for the dipshit in the mask. Maybe. But there's never been one like me, Gail. (laughs) I'm something... different. That's why I'm gonna shoot you in the head. You want me. So let's finish this. Guys? Scream 6 was released in 2023 and was directed by Tyler Gillett and Matt Bettelini-Olfin and written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Buswick. They are the writers and directors that also did the previous one in 2022. This film is, of course, based on the characters created by Kevin Williamson. And we have to mention the OG, Wes Craven, who was a massive part of the franchise and still is. This is an 18, rightly so, needed to be. It's on for two hours and had a budget of 35 million, and so far it's grossed just over 139 million already. In 2022, the franchise was said to make around 740 million, so it just keeps going. So, while there will be spoilers about this film, there will be spoilers about other screen films. You can't really talk about 
screen without mentioning them all. So there may be one or two things that pop up. So just to let you know, if you haven't seen the other Scream films, you need to go back and watch them anyway before you watch this one. Scream 6 takes us out of Woodsboro and brings us to New York City. Sisters Tara Carpenter, played by Jenny Ortego, and Sam Carpenter, played by Melissa Barari, have moved to New York along with the twins, Chad, played by Mason Goodwin, and Mindy, played by Jasmine Savoy-Brown. It isn't long before Ghostface, again voiced by Roger L. Jackson, is up to his pesky ways and it's a fight for survival for the core four, as they like to call themselves. We also see the return of Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, and Kirby, yes she's back, played by Hayden Panettiere. And of course we have the gorgeous Billy Loomis, played by Skeet Ulrich. We also see some new characters we may need to be suspicious about. We've got Detective Bailey, played by Dermot Moroni. Ethan, played by Jack Champion, Quinn, played by Liana Liberato, Anika, played by Devin Nakoda, and Danny, gorgeous Danny, played by Joss Sagara. Before I get into this, I went and saw this on the 23rd of March, which when I wrote this was the day after. So my memory isn't great. I didn't bring in a pen and paper, so I'm hoping that I've remembered it all. I did go to the bathroom once, so <laughs> I missed a little bit. So I'm trying to get it all down. I tried to get it all down so it was fresh in my mind and so I could remember as much as I could because obviously when we do film, podcasts or anything really, you tend to have the information at hand. You can go back and watch clips from films and you can't do this with this one. Well, you could, but it's illegal and it would be very bad copies. So what did I think? Firstly, I am a big fan of the Scream franchise. This the first will always be my favorite, but I don't actually hate any of them. I think all of them have something to offer. I've actually covered all of them. I would happily watch all of them again. Now, Neve Campbell is not in this one, which everyone knows about. It was a very disappointing thing to hear that she wasn't going to be in it. For me personally, Scream is very much Sydney Prescott. And it's more for the reason, if she had just decided that she just didn't want to do it anymore, I could have got on board with that. But it's the fact that they won't pay her. And the figures I gave you at the beginning made 139 million, 740 million. Kind of like, don't be so tight. Anyway, having said that, hopefully they will bring her back into the next one because I have a theory of what will happen. We'll say it at the end. So if I'm right, we may see her. But I do feel like if they're going to ever end Scream, she kind of needs to end it. But having said that, I will go in with an open mind. I always do with films. You know, it's not the rest of the cast fault that she's not in it. So I have done that and I'm glad I did because that's what I do. And according to Skeet Yorick, she actually has watched the film and she did like it and she's liked what they've done with it. So that's good. So of course, this one starts off like any other scream where we have a death of a very well-known actress and that is Samara Weaving in this case. She is the one to cop it. And it's one of those deaths where you're like, why? Why did you go down there? Which is the case with most horror films, to be fair. She's a film professor and she's discussing the tropes of horror films on a phone call and kind of what you should and shouldn't do. It's that kind of conversation. And she's meant to be meeting this guy and he's like not there, but he's on the phone to her and he thinks he's gone the wrong way and she's outside looking. Like it's all very like, so don't do it. And then she hears him screaming, which I get because she wants to run and help him because he's like, I'm being attacked. But she goes down an alleyway, which you just don't do. Even if you weren't on the phone, it, you just don't go down alleyways. So she gets killed and it is quite brutal, to be fair. 
But this one starts off differently because when we're used to seeing Ghostface, he kills and then he does a runner. Whereas this, this one pulls his mask off. So straight off the bat, we know that that's not Ghostface because you know that's a no-no in the screen films and this isn't going to happen. So your, your wheels start turning. You're like, okay, why, why has he done this? Because that's just not what Ghostface does. And he goes back to his apartment, which I have to say at the beginning, we're very much getting Friday the 13th. Jason takes Manhattan inspiration here. The guy's called Jason, played by Tony Revolori. He has Jason, he has Friday the 13th playing on his telly. And, you know, we do get a lot of other nods when it comes to this film. So we do get Jason and we get Michael Myers, we get Kruger, we get Samara Weaven's character in Ready or Not, who I always think is Margot Robbie, I have to say. I keep thinking they're the same person. And, you know, Pinhead, the Black Foam. So we get all these lovely little Easter eggs there. So there's quite a few nods to other characters in this film, which I do like. But back to Jason in his apartment. He's getting the phone call from Ghostface. And, you know, again, why is Ghostface calling him? Isn't he Ghostface? No. He's basically doing this thing with his mate where they want to kill, but he thinks it's mate. his mate is acting the idiot on his phone. And we soon realize that his friend is in the fridge. Well, part of his friend is in the fridge. And it, it kind of shows the brutality of the kills that we're going to get in this film because they do go a bit more violent and all that kind of stuff, which I will get into in a second. But obviously this Ghostface, aka Jason, he's about to cop it too. So we know that this isn't Jason, this isn't Ghostface 100% and Ghostface is back and he is out there. So as I mentioned, the deaths are a bit more violent, they're more brutal, they're more gory. And that's one thing I've always found about the screen films that I can remember, to be honest with you, I'd have to go back and watch them all, but I do remember a lot of the screen films, but I don't ever remember really kind of like hiding my eyes away. There's a lot of overkill here. And we kind of get that as well with Sam at the end of um, Scream 5. But they just they just seem to go above and beyond here. And I did find myself looking away at times. I brought someone with me to the cinema and I thought she had seen all the Scream films. She hadn't. And I was like, oh, they're fine. You know, it's just a bit stabby stabby, but that's about it. And she kept looking away. So I felt a bit guilty. And I just have to say to her, look, they're not normally like this. But it, I, I, it was okay to watch. It wasn't like hostile scary. Well, hostile's just gross. But also I found this ghost face quite different to the others. He or she, <laughs> he or she, uh, they, they sound, it was like they had more going on behind the mask. I didn't, they kind of moved in a different way. You felt like you were dealing with someone with experience of how to use a weapon, someone very strong, someone who walked tall. The others kind of felt a lot of the time that they were just playing killer as they fumbled about and they darted from spot to spot and the way they tried to hide, but they weren't at all hiding. Whereas this one felt like he had, like he was in control, like no fear of messing up. It felt like an adult, like a grown man, I have to say this. And you know, they had this thing, what they wanted to get done and nothing was going to get in their way. They had a presence and I felt that none of the others had this. I mean, I think the last, oh no, four actually, they're quite bad as well. But 
yeah, none of them have had the presence of what we had here. And also we have uh, the whole thing about the rules. You know, Randy used to love to come up with rules and the formula and who's going to survive. But with this one, as explained by Randy's niece, Mindy, all bets are off. It's not a sequel. It's not a prequel. It's a franchise. Randy would be so proud of her knowledge. But as the film goes on, we kind of see that she goes a bit against her own speech when it comes to the deaths or lack of, should I say. Also, despite some of the brutality of these attacks, you can't seem to kill certain people. But I'll get into that in a bit. Also, we have the mask that's aged. If you remember the later Halloween films, 2018 and on, we've got that old kind of worn Michael Myers mask. And that's what we get here. And I'll be honest, I like that. I prefer that. I'm not a fan of the whole polished, clean, whiter than white mask. It just, there's nothing scary about that. They just look silly. Whereas those ones, which I think really reflects uh, Ghostface in this, like they're older, they've matured. So that kind of gave me the whole thing where this person is a lot older than what we're used to seeing, which is a bunch of kids running around acting like Egypt's. When it really, though, starts to kick off for me, it's in the shop when Sam and Tara have seen Ghostface. And I think the problem is for the characters in this one, the ones that aren't Ghostface, is that there are a lot of Ghostface in this. There's a lot of dressing up. I think this is set around Halloween because there is a lot of people dressed up. So it's hard to know who is and who isn't, but obviously it's a risk that they're not going to take. But when we get into the shop, this ghost face comes in hell-bent on getting anyone that gets in his way so he can get towards Tara and Sam. And he leaves behind like absolute carnage, stabs anyone that gets in the way. At one point, the gun that he turned on the shopkeeper. I mean, we didn't have to see it, but we knew that it wasn't good. So he's on a mission and he will use any weapon that, they, that he can get his hands on. So after the shop, we have a few kills, but no one major. And that's the thing up until this stage. We haven't had anyone major. And the the next kill kind of made no sense for me, but it was one of the worst ones in it. It was brutal. So Sam has been seeing his therapist, which is quite a strange therapist, Dr. Stone. And he's like, oh, tell me everything. If you can, if you don't tell me everything, which I get, you, if, you, if you're going to help someone, you need all the details. So she does. And he just goes into this like panic. He, he can't deal with it. And he's such like a non-character. And I get that the whole point is for Ghostface to go in and get files on Sam. But it just, I don't know, him going and getting killed the way he was killed, like right in the, right through the nose, I think the knife went. It was definitely one of the more graphic killings that we saw. And I felt that one. I felt that one go in. But I did feel like he was a bit of a non-character, kind of there just to, here, here's our file, off you go. But his death, to say that his death was one of the most brutal ones for such a non-character. So as you can imagine, the group is really starting to freak out. And we do see them trying to do the right thing, which is quite unusual, isn't it? We see Sam and Tara, they're going to leave town. They're going to hide, but they're not allowed to do this because they're, of course, people of interest. Also, safety in numbers. They all stay together, locked in the apartment. It's a small apartment, but, you know, no matter what they try and do, even though they are trying to do the right things, Ghostface will find a way. We don't send, tend to see this behavior in horror films. People kind of stick around and then go wandering off on their own. These guys are doing the right thing, but it's still no good. And this apartment scene is when you kind of really start thinking, oh, who could it be? The first kill that we see in this apartment, or so we think, is Quinn. 
Ghostface has somehow gotten into the apartment before they all come back. And as we find out later who the killer killers are, it becomes pretty clear how that happened. So after Quinn's maybe death, the first one to go is Anika. And she lasted quite a while after being stabbed. Again, it was a kill that was made to last. She had to suffer. The knife attack was like a stab that we're kind of not used to seeing because the knife went in, but then stayed for a bit and then got pulled up. And I think, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think I saw when she went into the bedroom that her she was holding her intestines. I don't know, but I have a feeling that's what I saw. It was quite quick, but I'm not sure. At this point as well, we're still unsure about Danny. He's not in the apartment, but we can see him. And the way he was moving around, I was thinking to myself, oh, he's going to go because, you know, there's never usually one killer. It's always more. And but he didn't. And we've seen Danny and Sam together kissing. He seems like a really nice guy. They're kind of dating, but on the sly. And I would have been annoyed if it was him. I would have thought that was super lazy if it was him. And he does help them, but in a very scary way when he puts the ladder in between apartments. Now, I get, I would have been terrified, but they do manage to get across. Mindy gets across, Sam gets across, but Anika, bless her, with her insides hanging out, she didn't really stand much of a chance because he, they had barricaded the room and Ghostface to get in. But it's one of those scenes where you get really irritated because you're like, just move, just move. And had she moved a bit faster, there might have been a chance. But because of the shaking and to be fair, the fear took over and she froze. Like, I'm not saying I wouldn't do the same thing, but you know yourself when you're watching this, you're like, would you just move? And again, when she fell and landed, we see a very messed up body, especially the face. And they, again, they really showed it. Now, the other non-kill, as I'll call them, the kill of the characters that we don't really take much notice of, sorry, Gail's boyfriend, but to be fair, to be fair to the viewer, they didn't really show him, and it was more of a setup just to show where she lived, who she was living with, that he would be killed to kind of give Gail time. And although for some of it, you don't really know what's going on. She doesn't know what's going on, should I say. But this is also the scene where Gail finally gets the call she's been waiting for. Ghostface finally calls her. And this is the first time she's spoken to him on the phone. But this guy, or girl, <laughs> knows that. But how? How would he know that she's never had a conversation with the killer on the phone before? This makes you wonder, is the killer a survivor from a previous scream? Had they read her books? Had she written it in the books? Or does the killer have access to records from previous kills, from previous scream films? And the information is in there that she's never had a call. So how would someone have access to such records? Police officer, anyone? But she does meet Ghostface. He she puts up a pretty good fight. She does get stabbed, but she does survive. And she puts up a good fight like what we'd see Sydney do. So I felt like they gave her a good go there. But one thing that did bother me, because you see it and she's got a slight, slight, um, what's the thing, pulse. And that was kind of her ending in the film. I felt like she deserved more, but she kind of got a quick mention like, oh, she's alive and that's that. Whereas 
I feel like all the original characters, that kind of like, she was the last one really when you think about it and she kind of got forgotten about. So I, did, I didn't like that. So hopefully we will see her in six with how I am going to tell them to do it. <laughs> so as the group regroup to try and take Ghostface down, we do get a scene for me, which was one of the scariest. And that was the train with Mindy. So they're off to this location, which I'll explain in a second. And everyone jumps on a train. It's like really busy on the, the what do you call the subway. And she gets stuck with Ethan. Now she's really suspicious about Ethan. Like she's got a bug up her ass about Ethan, you know. And to be fair, he looks like he's about 12 and wouldn't do much damage. But that doesn't, you know, it's, it's scream. But when they're on the train, it does this thing. Now, I don't know if it does this in real life or it's just a connection issue. Maybe somebody who lives in New York can tell me if I do have listeners in New York. So if you're listening from New York, let me know. So when they're on the the, the subway, in the subway on the trains, they keep the lights keep going off and it's kind of like flashing off for a few seconds, flashing on for a few seconds. And I, I mean, I've been on these things, but I don't remember. So I don't recall this happening. But the problem was, is we see a, a screen person and it's the way... They just slowly move closer, closer, closer. And you know as a viewer, and she knows as the person that's going to be attacked, that this is coming closer and closer. And it's only a matter of time before they get to her. And when she looks up the last time and doesn't see, and they're kind of next to her, it's all very quickly done. And obviously Mindy gets, like, stabbed. And again, she should have died here, but she doesn't. Like, Ghostface is really crap at killing off the main characters in this film, I have to say. So the location they are going to is what I like to call the Ghostface headquarters. <laughs> we have this building and it's like this trip down memory lane. It looks like an abandoned building and there's pieces there from every screen film. I absolutely loved this bit. And I have to say, this was what I seen in the trailer where I kind of got the idea that it was a Ghostface cult. <laughs> um, and it just had... All these pieces, like you see, I think Billy's T-shirt. We had Stu's, uh, car, uh, that dressing gown he wore. Kirby, as she points out, her knife was there. And then all the mannequins with the screen things on. So I really liked this. I thought this was a, a good a good touch. And this is the spot where they think they will get Ghostface back and take them down. So, you know, kind of bringing them back to their little lair because that's what it looks like. I haven't really mentioned Kirby actually much in this. So she comes back as an FBI agent, Hayden Panettiere. She was in the fourth one and it was left over, open as to whether she actually dies or not. I thought she did and I need to rewatch it to see. She doesn't, there's no indication that she survives, is there? Not, not that I can remember, not that I can remember. And it was really nice to see her back. I mean, I like Hayden Panettiere. I, I am a fan of hers. And, but she gets brought in and you do kind of feel like she could potentially be one of them, which I'll mention in a second, but she is very involved with, uh, trying to get them. So when you're with her, I actually thought what, what Bailey said she was doing, like she's no longer with the FBI. She's obsessed with the whole thing because she nearly died. I thought that that's actually what was going on. And then Bailey comes in and says it. But then there was something else that was said a bit before that made me kind of wonder something. It kind of, my ear was pricked up, but I didn't really focus on it too much. So when Quinn had died, uh, 
Bailey comes out upset and he says, I lost both my kids. Who is the other kid? And that's what I was about. Who is he on about? And we're about to find out. This was a revenge killing for Richie. Bailey is the dad. Quinn and Ethan are the siblings and the family. Yes, all of them. Quinn is not dead and they all want revenge. Now, one thing I need to point out, Ethan being a killer, I it's kind of one of those things where you're like, well, they're really focusing on him being the killer so he could, but then they're focusing on him too, on him too much so he, he isn't. But I kind of felt sorry for Anika when I found out that he was one of the killers because they were friends and they were kind of like the outside of the group. They weren't part of the core four. So you kind of felt that they had this little connection through that. And then he does that to her. So, yeah, I thought that would kind of like added a little bit of insult to injury with Anika. I did think it was Bailey, also Kirby for a little bit, but I did think it was it was Bailey. Uh, but I never suspected the other two. I never suspected Ethan and Quinn. And I was a little bit disappointed with the reason why. And I suppose it kind of makes sense that you knew that Richie was a part of it because we kept seeing his number come up whenever uh, he would call Sam. And obviously we know he is dead. So you knew there was going to be some sort of connection. But I don't know. I just, I thought, you know, now don't get me wrong. I did like the way they all grouped together as a unit, like this family, how batshit crazy they were and that Bailey was Ghostface. And this would explain like the presence of Ghostface I was talking about, like the difference, the more grown up. And that explains as it was Bailey. The siblings, on the other hand, were just as fumbly as Richie. And you just wanted to put them on a timeout. Although I have to say, Quinn, she is pretty scary. There was just something about her character, even before she was revealed as a killer, that I was put off by. And I didn't know why, but I just knew there was something about her I didn't like. And it explains it. She's a psychopathic killer. Now, when we see the siblings kill, they have no control and they just go for it. And this is really shown with Chad. Poor Chad. It's almost like playtime for them. It's so weird. I think his kill was probably the worst kill. They, how they did it, it wasn't so much what they were doing. It was like how they did it. They held his arms and they had an arm each so he couldn't move. And obviously keep being stabbed. You're not going to be able to really do much. And he just... He, this kept happening to him as he looked on at Tara and Sam. And obviously there was feelings there with Tara. They'd had a, a little kiss. But he just stared at them when it was happening. And she's like screaming, but he's not screaming. It's It was weird. It was like he was kind of at peace with it. It was very strange. But he didn't die. He didn't die. He shouldn't have. I can't believe that he survived that. <laughs> so many people should have died in this. Well, mainly the twins should have died. But they didn't. So basically, Bailey, when you think about it, is Mrs. Loomis. So they've taken us back to the second scream where the survivors head off to uni and the horror of Woodsboro follows them. Loomis wanted revenge for what happened to her, a little innocent little Billy. And I get the whole loving your kid thing, but these guys just take it too far. The scream shine was Richie's. It was nuts how much Bailey wanted for his son. Richie could do no wrong like little Billy. And a lot of people do blame Sam for the murders, which Quinn started. And obviously social media, word gets about and then everyone starts doing it. And they also blame her for Richie's death. We even see that the final showdown takes place in this theatre place, which is a big part of the film. And, you know, blaming Sam and poor little Richie. And that's just basically Scream 2, where Mrs. Loomis and Mickey, 
for trying to kill Sydney, for killing Billy, and it's all my poor Billy. So it's basically the same story. Now, when it comes to Sam, while she didn't commit the murder, she does seem to really, really enjoy killing. Now, granted, her dad is Billy, and he's over the shoulder all the time like some psycho Jiminy Cricket. But when she killed Richie in Screen 5, there was a lot of overkill there. And we get to see that with this one too. Now, she takes out Quinn, but when she takes out Bailey, the dad, she is going for it. I've never seen someone's hand move that fast with a knife in it. And thank God. Uh, but he, I don't know, it's really weird because all the way through it, you see this like presence of ghost face. And then when he's been stabbed, which I suppose he has been stabbed to be fair, he's just like Richie. He's like so pathetic and he just, oh, he doesn't want to be killed. And, you know, I think he thanks her at one point when she makes a comment about how she isn't going to kill him. But then Tara comes along and, you know, she does. But this is kind of when I looked at Tara differently too. I was like, hmm, are they going to be like a little little duo here? And when she killed, so Tara killed Ethan. Now, it was self-defense, but the way she puts that knife in his throat, oh, she was loving it. So I feel like we need to look out for them too. And uh, always not what it seems, I feel. So that would lead you on to the next big question. Will there be a Scream 7? Yeah, I think they set this one up for it. And it can't just, it can't just end now. We would need the core four back and Gail and Kirby and Danny. I'd like to see them back. But if it was to be the final film, we need Sydney back. You can't end Scream without her, as I said. And she has to end it with Gail. Gail can help once and for all. But we need an epic ending, nothing they've done before. I would like to bring back Stu because as well, I think in this, they make a comment, don't they? Mindy makes a comment about the death and he says he may not be dead or some believe he isn't dead. I can't remember exact terms, but I remember them saying something about him not being dead. We see the TV in the shrine that killed him. And yeah, because Mindy said to Kirby, if you believe he is dead. So let Stu come back and Sydney kill him off. But then he gets like Sam on his side because of her dad. He's like, hey, your, your dad was like my best friend. And then Sam and Stu, probably along with Tara, because she seems to be liking it too, <laughs> try and kill Sydney and Gail. But Sydney and Gail kill them. And that is how it should go. So I think that's what's going to happen. Probably not, but you know, we can dream. But yes, Sydney back. And that is my little take on Scream 6. And let me know if you liked the movie. Let me know if you enjoyed it. But as always, thanks for listening. And don't forget to rate and review on iTunes and Podchaser. If you want any updates and reviews and behind the scenes, you can follow me on Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast, on Twitter as A Nightmare Pod, on Facebook as Once Upon a Nightmare, and can email me as Once Upon a Nightmare Pod at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening. Have a lovely day and stay safe out there. Bye.